My early years, months with Sri Yukteswar accumulated in a useful lesson. How to outwit a mosquito. Page. Page 110. We're still on chapter 12 years in my master's hermitage. <clears throat> At home, now remember, uh, Yogananji comes from a very well-off family. At home, my family always used protective curtains at night. Machardani, as we would call it. <laughs> I was dismayed to discover that in the Serampur Hermitage, this prudent custom <laughs> was honoured in the breach. I just love how he places these words. Yet the insects were in full residency. I was bitten from head to foot. My guru took pity on me. Buy yourself a curtain, and also one for me, he laughed and added. If you buy only one for yourself, all mosquitoes will concentrate on me. It's really nice to see the humour that the saints always employ. Swami Kriyananda would often tell us that humour, a refined humour of course, yeah. is the mark of a very noble spirit from the perspective of only after you're able to separate yourself a little bit from circumstances do you have perspective enough to see it humorously and so for all of us we can use humor as a very powerful tool sometimes just to separate to distance ourselves from getting too personally involved in every situation i was thinking a few months ago I was trying to mm, find ways when I can recognize uh, when I have learned a lesson. And the thought came to me that only when I can go back in my mind to that um, harmful or disappointment or that you know, uncomfortable situation but now when I think about it, I can laugh at it and I can smile and I can see myself, oh my God, where I got into or this was so weird, but I'm able to laugh at it. So for me, that has been a great comfort to distinguish very deeply within me when I have, a, when I have truly overcome um, karma or a situation just because okay that that was fun i mean it was difficult but now i can't laugh at it so do that experiment and see how you feel every night that i spent in serampur my guru would ask me to arrange the bedtime curtains the mosquitoes one evening were especially virulent but master failed to issue his usual instructions. Very sweet. It's like whenever Sri Yukteswarji would say, okay, set the bedtime curtains, you know, put the machardani, then young Mukunda would comply. But in this particular case, because the Guru did not issue those instructions, he did not take it for granted or he assume. didn't just assume that well or he wasn't just thinking about himself because in fact he bought these curtains as a selfish act but even that selfish act only after it was blessed by the guru did he do so 
I listened nervously to the anticipatory hum of the insects. Getting into bed, I threw a propitiatory prayer in their general direction. A half hour later, I coughed pretentiously <laughs> to attract my guru's attention. <laughs> How many times have we done that? <clears throat> Hoping that God would pay a little more attention to us. I thought I would go mad with the bites and especially the singing drone as the mosquitoes celebrated bloodthirsty riots or rites. No responsive stir from master. I approached him cautiously. He was not breathing. This was my first observation of him in the yogic trance. It filled me with fright. His heart must have failed. I placed a mirror under his nose. No breath vapor appeared. To make doubly certain, for minutes I closed his mouth and nostrils with my fingers. <laughs> His body was cold and motionless. In a daze, I turned toward the door to summon help. So, a budding experimentalist, my poor nose. Master's voice was shaky with laughter. Why don't you go to bed? Is the whole world going to change for you? Change yourself. Be rid of the mosquito consciousness. And of course, here the example is that of the mosquito, but how many mosquitoes do we have in our lives? People, things, situations, circumstances, the way someone talks to you, the way somebody didn't treat you. Your children behave. Your children's behavior. And our thought is that the perfection of our lives and our ability to live more fulfilled lives come from everything around us being arranged just right, just in the way we want it. But that's never going to happen. And even if it were to happen, we would not be happy, we would not be fulfilled because that's just not where it comes from. And those of us who have had wonderful family lives, who have wonderful jobs and enough income and all those things, Yet we know that there's that emptiness within, there's that part of us that still is yearning, is seeking for something else. And the truth of it lies, of course, in the changing of ourselves. Can we really expect the world to change around us? I love the fact that Sri Yudeshwar gives Yogananda such an incredible lesson in the middle of the night with such a simple and apparently insignificant thing as just a mosquito. And he gives a wonderful one sentence deep line of what really is all about. If you don't change your consciousness, nothing is going to change. I mean, I love the fact that every interaction with Sri Yuteshwar, whether it's in the middle of the night, whether it's through a meditation, through cleaning something at the ashram, there was such an important message. And Yogananda had to be ready and receptive 
to see and perceive that Sri Yuteshwar was giving him really a life lesson through this and just using that insignificant <laughs> mosquito. The Guru is always using <laughs> insignificant situations to help us learn yeah. so that they don't get to the point but, where yeah. they are quite significant. Exactly. <laughs> it's like almost starting from the simple things and then build up from that. So when a true bigger lesson comes, as you were saying, we'll be able to handle it. Meekly, I returned to my bed. Not one insect ventured near. I realized that my guru had previously agreed to the curtains only to please me. His yogic power was such that he either could will them not to bite, or could ex escape to an inner invulnerability. Now here is again a very, uh, it's two different ways for us to look at any difficult situation. There are two things that we're trying to strengthen. One, we can strengthen our own auras, in which case the mosquitoes of our lives can't even enter in, that there's so much power that there's just nothing that can enter in and destroy us or hurt us or harm us. Or we go the other way around. Rather than going out this way, we go in this way to the point of even if they are hurting us and they're all around us and they're shouting at us and they're like poking us in our fortress of peace, nothing can touch us. So we can really look at life from both these perspectives. And sometimes we're able to do one better than the other. And sometimes when one is not working, we should try the other. But these are two ways any situation in your life you can kind of go beyond. One, strengthen your willpower, the flow of energy that you have, the positivity that you have, the convictions that you have, and let that power go out. And sometimes we don't have that kind of power. In that case, try to go deeper within. And deeper within means, of course, through meditation, but through inner attunement, through really surrendering to the Guru in that moment, surrendering to God in that moment, and just settle back into that space where your connection to God is the strongest. And then, of course, those mosquitoes will be around, but you won't even... React. Yeah, you won't even notice them. You won't react to them. They won't mean much to you. So look at these two approaches in your own life and see which ones you are able to apply to what situations. He was giving me a demonstration, I thought. That is the yogic state I must strive to attain. That is the yogic state we must strive to attain. A yogi must be able to pass into and continue in the superconsciousness regardless of the multitudinous distractions never absent from this earth. That's again a reiteration of the fact. Distractions won't go away. Issues will not go away. Problems will not go away. People, won't go away. <laughs> People will definitely not go away. Because this is a very great fallacy in our own minds that when I become a saint, I'll be able to somehow control these things, stop these things. 
but if you look at the life of any saint you don't see that they're living some sort of peaceful joyful sipping you know pina colada on the beach life they live very much in the heart of all turbulence they are you know they go through financial issues betrayals they go through their own trials and tribulations in the process of achieving the states of you know great consciousness that they do so where in our own minds do we think that we should not go through it when they have laid down the path so clearly so beautifully and in a sense they're doing that just for us they don't even need to go through those problems they've they've gone through every problem conceivable to man they've overcome it all they had a eternity in bliss available to them but they decided you know what let's go back down for narayani and shurjo and rajesh and niyati and everybody else that is just desperately seeking that same joy and freedom and perceiving those troubles and tests as blessings because one is to know you have to learn something but when you accept fully that test as a gift from god you can really make of it one of the greatest um, moments of your life and really you can um, grow spiritually greatly by perceiving that as a blessing as a test so start by you know identifying those obstacles that you think you are uh, need to overcome right now or those people that are really triggering you so badly and see see them sees that see seeing them or see, see them <laughs> seeing them like really god's gifts to you the instructive mosquitoes served for another early lesson at the ashram so the mosquitoes have not fulfilled there's more lessons to learn from the mosquitoes it was the gentle hour of dusk my guru was matchlessly interpreting the ancient texts at his feet i was in perfect peace a rude mosquito uh oh entered the idol and competed for my attention how many times do things compete for our attention you know and all it takes is a mosquito here you are a whatsapp <laughs> yeah with your guru receiving from him the wisdom that is probably coming straight from the mouth of god and all it takes is a mosquito a whatsapp <laughs> a thought you know to start competing for our attention the same of course happens to us in our meditations as it dug a poisonous hypodermic needle into my thigh i automatically raised an avenging hand an opportune memory came to me of one of patanjali's yoga aphorisms that on ahimsa or harmlessness so the hands up here and suddenly yogananda ji has realized i remembered oh, wait a minute ahimsa is something i need to be practicing shri yukteswar ji addresses him why didn't you finish the job master do you advocate taking life no but the death blow already had been struck in your mind i don't understand let's see what shri yukteswar ji means 
Patanjali's meaning was the removal of desire to kill. So ahimsa is not not doing violence, but in its highest essence, not even having the slightest desire for violence. Sri Yukteswar had found my mental process an open book. This world is inconveniently arranged for a literal practice of ahimsa. Man may be compelled to exterminate harmful creatures. He is not under sim similar compulsion to feel anger or animosity. Let's hear those sentences again because they're very key. Man may be compelled to exterminate harmful creatures. There might be the necessity in our homes to exterminate harmful creatures. However, he is not under a similar compulsion to feel anger or animosity in doing so. All forms of life have equal right to the air of Maya. The saint who uncovers the secret of creation will be in harmony with its countless bewildering expressions. That's a good one. All men may approach that understanding who curb the inner passion for destruction. Again, let's stop for a moment. In fact, this was one of the questions asked to us, I believe, by Kamal. <laughs> and she was asking in one of our earlier Q&A satsangs that we did, essentially this. How do we, you know, work with, if ahimsa is one of those things, how do we work with insects and cockroaches and mosquitoes in our lives? And here, of course, Sri Yukteswarji is talking about that the world is inconveniently you know, placed for the literal practice of ahimsa. In the sense that at every given moment, just by breathing, we're probably killing a lot of bacteria, living forms as they are. Just by walking on the ground, we don't know how many little insects we are hurting. So, in this world, we're never going to be able to perfectly practice ahimsa. Even in the Jain tradition, which is a very beautiful expression and symbolism, where they cover their mouth and they boil the water before they drink it and things like that. But, you know, boiling of the water kills things too. So, it's not that there is a literal reality there. There is the reminder of not even wanting, even there be a slight desire. So when I raise my hand to smack a mosquito that has just bitten me, the fact is that we raise it in anger. We raise it in reaction. We raise it in, oh, you know, this, how dare you hurt me? But if we were to raise it, so that is why Sri Yukteswarji said, the death blow already had been struck in your mind because the moment anger, hatred, how dare you comes into our mind, ahimsa has already gone out the door. The death blow has already been struck. We have literally energetically sent Bombs of anger. this, yeah, you know, this spear of uh, violence. And so that's what we have to be watching. As kids, of course, you know how we were quite cruel sometimes <laughs> with ants and insects and, you know, we wanted to really, it's almost like we wanted to hurt them. But of course, the child's mind is not capable enough yet to fully comprehend what he is doing. But 
we've carried some of that into our adulthood as well and sometimes you know something happens a little cockroach we've been trying to hurt this cockroach first just normally but it's escaping all the time and somehow you know we're not getting to it and this anger starts developing and now it's like competition now it's up to us to prove ourselves by killing that cockroach so that is what we should be looking out for not the fact that yes the cockroach carries disease it carries certain things that are going to be harmful for me my family and so what needs to be done needs to be done but i have to first look inside and see is there anger is there any form that says i want to hurt this thing then perhaps we need to stay for a moment and wait till that you know reactive process has calmed down a little bit and then we just have to do what is necessary and as shri yukteswar ji will explain further on you have anything to add so then of course yogananda playing the part of the disciple and devotee for us asks guru ji should one offer himself a sacrifice rather than kill a wild beast no man's body is precious it is the highest evolutionary it it has the highest evolutionary value because of unique brain and spinal centers these enable the advanced devotee to fully grasp and express the loftiest aspects of divinity no lower form is so equipped it is true that one incurs the debt of a minor sin if he is forced to kill an animal or any living being but the vedas teach that wanton loss of a human body is a serious transgression against the karmic law so here shri yukteswar ji really kind of spells it out for us first and foremost we are again seeing this process you see it's it's fairly impersonal the way we're looking at this mostly because it's just god's consciousness being expressed nothing in this world no insect no man no animal no rock is not god but in a relative world of evolution of the soul the human form has reached that complexity and refinement especially of the nervous system that is why shri yukteswar ji talks about the brain and the spinal centers that through this advanced nervous system that the human being has it is the system that allows us to truly comprehend and experience god and no other lower form yet has that ability and so it's precious precious in the sense not because it's you and me and us it's precious because there's put there's been a lot of energy behind it to bring it to this moment to this stage however he says here it is true that one incurs the debt of a minor sin if he is forced to kill an animal or live any living being the key word here being forced not just because you wanted to <laughs> if you kill something just because you wanted to it's going to be more than just a minor karmic debt it's going to be a bigger debt but when you are forced when you recognize that there are that this human form is precious 
And in order for me to ensure that I take care of it, that I'm fully responsible for it, because I'm responsible for the potential of the divinity that it could express, that is, be that is because you are trying to allow that divinity to express, not because you're just some guy who couldn't care less about the divinity and is only just trying to be selfish. So you have to see where you are in your own consciousness. And then, of course, there is a certain thing where there is a responsibility to be had and it will be had. But the Vedas, of course, talk about that the wanton loss of human body is a serious transgression against karmic law just because of the flow of energy and the amount of time and effort that soul has taken to get to the point of being able once again to perceive its divinity. And I think in a very humble way, we are the most precious piece of art that God has created. And we are the human being and the soul inside the human being, the form, is something that God loves the most because it's, it's where the most divinity and potential exists. So our body is our temple, is super important to keep it fit for God's self-realization our soul, our nervous system. I mean, we are a beautiful package that has been delivered here on earth. And that package can transform and inspire so many other souls. So it's not only that the human body is one of the most beautiful creations that God has accomplished in all his creation, but we have a purpose. I mean, this gift that has been given to us, this form, this kind of consciousness has a role to play. God is counting with each one of us to create this beautiful um, background, you know, of beautiful things and images and interactions of energies that happen through the human body, through each one of us. So start perceiving yourself as something that God has so beautifully, thoughtfully, uniquely has done with you, with your consciousness, with your appearance, and make sure that you keep helping him <laughs> by refining and upgrading and updating yourself and your consciousness. So both of you together, your willingness and your gratitude for what he has created in you will have um, uh, you you both will hold hands together on earth that is why especially in terms of uh, you know we're talking about in the gita when krishna asks arjuna to fight think about our own soldiers today um, in many cases they're forced to kill that's the responsibility that they've been given 
So that's a whole different reality as opposed to somebody who purposefully kills in terms of murder and especially also in suicide. suicide. And so these are things to, you know, pay attention to and not to be even thought of lightly. Even the thought entering our minds sometimes of harming a human form, you know, because we're not just talking about our form is this beautiful thing. Every form is this beautiful thing. Every form has worked very hard to get there <laughs> to express that divinity. So, you know, it's also with our thoughts, be careful, especially towards other human beings, because um, those are already the death blows that our mind has struck. It's almost saying to God, I don't like you. I don't like what you have created in me. So it's just like you push him aside, you reject you know, the love that he has invested in you. So don't even see this as something personally. Just start perceiving like God is within me. And if I harm myself, if I want to kill myself or entertaining myself with those thoughts, it's very um, sad that we, we respond to God by these kind of thoughts and of course to other people too. So it's, it's subtle, it's serious and we should start being more grateful to God and expressing that gratitude by just being so joyfully um, yeah, in gratitude for what he has done with us. <laughs> I sighed in relief. Yoganandaji says, scriptural reinforcement of one's natural instincts is not always forthcoming. Usually the scriptures are always telling us to do go against what our desires and our own natural instincts would ask us to do, which is possess more and have more and think more of ourselves. He says, finally, even the scriptures are supporting at least this one natural instinct within us, which is self Preservation, of course. <clears throat> I never saw master at close quarters with a leopard or tiger, uh, Yoganandji says, but a deadly cobra once confronted him only to be conquered by my guru's love. A young disciple, Prafulla, was there with master on that occasion. And Prafulla explains, we were seated outdoors near the ashram. This was in Puri. And a cobra appeared nearby, a four-foot length of sheer terror. Its hood was angrily expanded as it raced towards us. My guru gave a welcoming chuckle, as though to a child. I was beside myself with consternation to see Master engage <laughs> a, rhythmic, a rhythmical clapping of hands. <laughs> Before you know, in front of the <laughs> cobra, oh, <wow. laughs> he was entertaining the dread visitor. I remained absolutely quiet, inwardly ejaculating with fervent prayers I could muster. The serpent, very close to my guru, was now motionless, seemingly magnetized by his caressing attitude. The frightful hood gradually contracted. The snake slithered between master's feet and disappeared into the bushes. 
can you imagine here's a cobra it's coming and you know the one thing they say about snakes if they are nearby is that you stand absolutely motionless so that because that's what the snakes are technically blind and they respond to vibration and so they hear and feel their prey a lot through the vibration of them moving and so if a snake comes all you want to do is be absolutely still and so that it doesn't see you so to speak but of course here sri yukteswar ji is like okay <laughs> right there in front of him really moving his hands and clapping and so you don't want to be doing that of course in front of a snake i have since come to realize this is prafulla still talking that my divine master is beyond fear of hurt from any living creature and i love the way he's placed this he is beyond fear of hurt from any living creature he's not saying he is beyond hurting others that the masters don't even have any fear that anything else can hurt them and this comes back also to the little mosquito moment there's just no concept that there is anything in this world that can hurt us and the thing about violence or entertaining any form of harmful or hurtful thoughts towards others is usually because of fear of hurt you see we always we want to hurt somebody before they hurt us that's what brings us out we want to hurt that cockroach before it hurts or we want to hurt this person before they say something nasty to us so that's where this desire to harm really comes from because our natural essence is not i want to go around and hurt people it is because we've been hurt so many times in our own soul evolution because we've also hurt but because we've experienced hurt enough times that we know that we don't want to experience it so we think if we put it out first somehow it will soften our own blow the blows back to us but for sri yukteswar ji and for any saint any master this is where the key comes where there is no fear that anything could ever both want to or be even capable of hurting them and this is you know just very nice how the masters keep turning every concept around so that we can always see it from both sides it's not just don't have the desire to hurt don't have the desire to hurt sometimes we're unable to stop some of those desires sometimes we're unable to stop some of those thoughts the habit behind it is just too powerful for that moment but if we can start looking at it from the other way and just say how much fear of hurt do i have where i fear others will hurt me and then i can see it from both sides again i can do the game just as we did with the mosquitoes expand or go back in similarly here i can try my own from my own side not to allow too much of hurtful harmful thoughts words actions to go out and at the same time i should clean my own heart of any fear that resides inside it that i will receive any harm or hurt from god's creation in addition fear doubt anger whenever we are channeling that consciousness whether we say it or not whether our physical body reflects that or not we are emanating waves and vibrations of 
disharmony because fear, hate, uh, revenge, jealousy, I mean, any kind of uh, disharmonious thoughts that are not in perfect alignment with love really generate this harmony in our environment. The fact that that cobra wasn't feeling even a single ripple or wave of this harmony generated by the consciousness of fear was really the key ingredient that made her just perfectly relaxed where she didn't need to defend herself or to become, you know, tensed or alert. You know, she, she just felt so at peace and comfortable with that harmonious energy that was in that presence, in the, pres in the cobra's presence. So for each one of us, we will always have those two choices. When we are channeling certain emotions, how can we, if not overcome them, certainly not suppress them, but try to, you know, almost change the frequency that we are emanating through our consciousness and vibration. So again, it's, it's a matter of what we emanate outwardly from ourselves because we think people don't know uh, who we are or what we think if we don't tell them with words but the soul is very intuitive so you sometimes may be with a person and that person may don't say a single word but you are already feeling how that person feels Yogananda said about his disciples, I know every thought you think. So um, to me, this is fascinating. <laughs> and, and scary. And, yeah, it's scary, <laughs> but a good kind of a scary because you know you need to you know, <laughs> do your job. And as we were talking about um, on Thursday on the Bhagavad Gita, no, like, Right now in this Dwapara Yuga, everything functions and interacts through vibration, through energy. So as much as we can work at that level also, uh, the more we keep aligning ourselves with that perfected uh, love that Sri Yuteshwara and Yogananda channeled. Since we have only five minutes and uh, the next section is really opening up another whole uh, lesson that we won't have time to go into, let's just dwell on this concept a little while longer because it's very key in our lives and especially for most of us, I think uh, this himsa, this violence is expressed through judgment and criticism. I think this is probably the most prevalent form in which we tend to go against this law of non-violence of ahimsa so really start paying attention to that and as Narayani very rightly said 
don't think even for a moment that your you can keep your own thoughts and your own vibrations hidden from the universe and perhaps the other person may never know that it's coming to them but your soul has already struck that death blow which means <laughs> that the soul is going to have to receive the same yeah and incur that karmic death can you imagine every thought i mean no wonder it takes forever yeah. i mean no wonder we just keep at it and we just keep at it and no you know and we think if i can just get my diet right and if i can just get you know my workout right <laughs> yeah get the right workout going and you know just get my schedule for the day in the right way and it'll finally work out for us but you know it's just that judgment and criticism of yourself of others and it's amazing how how prevalent that is how much of our thoughts are actually judgment and criticism and of circumstances mm -hmm. just judging the circumstance judging the situation you're in criticizing the situation that has been created for you that's why truly affirmation plays a very important role especially at the beginning mm -hmm. when we don't have enough will power to redirect our thoughts affirmations is a very good training for us it's just we keep reminding our thoughts our mind where we want them to be what we want them to think what we hope for them to be focused on so if you have not done it please choose an affirmation find that um keyword that will help you to keep uplifting your thoughts and just channeling them always in the right direction of course here it's also important to just mention that it's not that you cannot say any negative words or you know it's not like you can't tell somebody who something that they need to perhaps hear again always remember that the key here is in that desire to hurt or harm you know a mother has to very much correct her child very much help shape and mold the child we may not have that responsibility to for others sometimes we assume that responsibility that i'm going to be the one who will correct this person and tell him that's what's wrong with him but every now and then if you're a boss and you have to work with your employees if you're a team member if you're a parent if you're a friend sometimes a moment will come where of course you will have to not judge and criticize but certainly correct and bring into awareness of the things that some that are happening around you ahimsa it does not in any way again mean to become a doormat for others just because i can't raise my voice and i can't say anything negative and i can't say anything that will hurt somebody often we say things that do hurt people but that hurt again there are two individuals involved here right two things that are participating in this process the first is whether there is harm and desire to hurt within you then of course whether there is fear of being hurt within the other person and both of us are equal parties here our job is from our side to do the best in everything we say and all our thoughts to try to ensure as clean as clean as possible an intention in there and this aspect does help don't say it 
don't do it until you can find a certain sense of rest in your own heart first because that's what happens in an argument for you know we say something we don't fully mean but because of that moment there's anger and there's fear of being hurt so you know we want to be the first one to attack but always you know if you've gotten into a little argument step away from it or try to be as silent even if the mind is agitated try to be as silent in that moment see if you're able to calm yourself to relax those thoughts of wanting to inflict harm and then perhaps you can come back with your side of the story for your side must be heard as well and even if you are not in any disagreement with anyone on a day-to-day -day basis you know with your children with your friends in a conversation make sure we don't kill people's enthusiasm because sometimes our kids come with this idea of they want to play or they want for you to be involved in you know whatever they are doing and you know no 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 you know and we are not even aware that that you know answer is just creating a harmful feeling in them or if someone comes with a great idea rather than say oh no that will never work you know find ways to make sure that that person will keep inspired no matter what even if that idea will never work but make sure that when you share your opinion your feedback it comes from a very loving compassionate and mm, loving heart all right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us.